Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Hey, happy Easter. It's great to, uh, great to see you guys. For those of you who are guests, my name's Keith Moore. I'm the senior pastor here at Dogwood. We're especially glad you could be here. I want to address all of you Dogwood family people just a second. You've been so gracious to pray and to inquire and to support about uh, my family who've been out of the country adopting uh, my uh, first granddaughter and uh, asking about them. Well, we got them home Tuesday evening. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, everyone's everyone's well. Uh, they actually, after they kissed the ground, then they kissed me. But they kissed the ground first. And uh, uh, but uh, it was really a great time, and we're very thankful and thankful uh, to you all um, as well. Well, it's Easter, and uh, I, you like me, may have noticed that uh, in the days, even the uh, weeks, maybe even the month leading up to this weekend, the world has been much more interested in spiritual things, uh, and in particular, uh, issues about Christianity. I think the, uh, uh, the selection of a new pope, I think, was part of that, even heightened the world's fascination, even those outside of Christianity, uh, wherever they were in the world. Uh, and so questions always come about, now, it's Easter, now, what is it? About Easter. Now, everyone knows generally that Easter is when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead, but what is unclear often is the meaning. I mean, even for those of us who grew up in a community or in a culture like ours, where there are many, many churches, there are many, many Christians, there's much to be uh, heard and known about uh, the Christian faith, the meaning of the resurrection can be a little fuzzy. And so how do you get clarity? I want us to spend a little time on that this morning uh, for yourself personally or maybe for someone uh, in your family or a close friend or a work associate. How do we get clarity on this issue? Well, we're going to do so by trying to take on four questions today. And here they are. First of all, what do, what do we believe about the resurrection of Jesus? What does biblical, historical, orthodox Christianity believe about the resurrection of Christ? Second question will be this one. Why do we believe in it? I mean, why do we believe uh, in, in the resurrection? What's the proof? Is there any proof? Third question is what does the resurrection of Jesus mean? I mean, what... What, did he, what does it prove? And then the fourth one is, so what? I mean, so what? What are, what are the implications for my life? Practical implications for me and you. So why don't we pray uh, and uh, ask God to help us with this? Because if we, if we didn't need God's help, everybody would understand it very clearly already. So evidently we need outside help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you asking that you do what you said in your word that you would do, that you would open our eyes, that we may see wonderful things from your word, and that you would open our minds, that we would understand the scriptures. I pray that you would give us clarity. I pray that you would give us understanding. I pray that you would give us a sense of your, your nearness, your presence. Uh, as we seek to draw near to you, uh, would you draw near to us? 
And we thank you for these things. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, let's jump right in. On your bulletin on the back side, there's a note sheet you can use. Grab a pen out of the chair pocket in front of you or behind you. And here we go. First question, what do we believe about the resurrection of Jesus? And here it is. Biblical, historic, orthodox Christianity has all what does now and always has believed that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. Not that he resuscitated, not that it just appeared that he was dead, but he was not. Uh, not that it was some, just some kind of mystical, spiritual thing. No, we believe that he physically, bodily was dead, 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 four o'clock in the afternoon dead. And that he got up, that he came back from the dead. Now, that's outrageous, isn't it? It is. Now, we lose a little bit of the shock of, of that statement of that belief because many of us are, we've had, you know, we're on the back end of 2,000 years of looking back at the story, of hearing it constantly. But it's an outrageous thing to say, we believe Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive today. Uh, 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 Amazing. But that is what we believe about uh, the resurrection. Second, we believe this. It is the big point of Christianity. It's the point. It's the Bottom line, it's the, it is the load-bearing wall. It is the, one, it is the vital organ of Christianity. If you remove the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity does not just become a book with the last chapter ripped out. It ceases to exist. It disappears. It dissipates. There is no such thing as Christianity apart from the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we're going to take a look at, at this meaning from what... Most of us would consider to be the all-time Super Bowl world champion of Bible passages on the resurrection. And it's found in the little book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So it's way back over this far into your Bible. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we'll, we'll use them every week. Uh, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, a little bitty book. It may take a moment to find it, 16 chapters only. Go to the 15th chapter. Here we find writings by the Apostle Paul, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, to a group of Christians, new Christians in a brand new church, the only church in the, in the magnificent uh, city of Corinth. And here are the words that we have. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you. Here we go. Here's the phrase. As of first importance. Circle that phrase. Underline it in your Bible. Uh, This is is an important phrase. This is what he's saying. He's saying this is the big point. This is the bottom line of Christianity. This is of first importance importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures than that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So we believe, Christianity believes, followers of Jesus believe that in his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, Jesus accomplished some incredible 
powerful spiritual realities. We believe that he broke the power of death. We believe that this is the day that death died. We believe he broke the power of sin, of hell, of the grave, and that he provided salvation for all people who would believe, who would put their active trust in him and what he accomplished when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. We believe those big things happened. So we believe it is a reality. Without it, Christianity ceases to exist. So then the next question is why? Why do we believe in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus? What's the, what's the proof? Well, let me give you a couple, just a couple. First of all, if you'll look in verses 3 and 4 that we just read out of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, we read that it tells us that this belief in the resurrection is, quote, according to the scriptures. Now, that's a, that's a beautiful poetic way of saying because the Bible or for the Bible tells me so. You know the song we learned as children? Sing it with me. Jesus loves me, this I know. Wow, that was good. You're on pitch. We're starting a choir next week. Uh, this is, the camera has been, you know, they're singing who's singing. Really good, really good. For the Bible tells me so. Uh, that's what this phrase means. We believe, Christians believe, first of all, in the resurrection of Jesus, for the Bible tells us so. And some of you would say, and legitimately so. Legitimately so. You have a million-dollar question at this point that deserves more than a two-cent answer. And your question... Uh, in your mind, you may be saying right now, now see, Pastor, that right there, what you just said, that's my problem. Because I don't believe the Bible. I mean, the Bible, everybody knows it's, it's written by men, you know, over a 1,500-year period, compiled, uh, f- flawed human beings wrote it. It's full of contradictions. Everybody knows that. It's full of fairy tales. Everybody knows that. I don't understand how you can have confidence in, in the historical accuracy and authority of the Bible. And so, therefore, I, that's no, that is no proof of the resurrection to me. What do you say to that? Well, first of all, I would say I understand. I understand. Second, I would say you're not the first to question the historical accuracy of uh, the reality of the resurrection. For even in Paul's writings right there in verse 12... He says, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There were people there that did not believe it. They did not believe it was so, that it was real. Uh, There are now and there always have been people who deny the resurrection of Jesus. Some of the theories go like this, that Jesus didn't really die. He simply swooned while on the cross and later was resuscitated uh, in the coolness of the tomb. There are those who say the disciples stole his body away uh, to make it appear that he resurrected. Some say that Pilate was bribed uh, secretly, faked his death and let him live and walk away. Others say that Jesus wasn't really buried in the tomb, but somewhere else, and his disciples simply could not find him. Some say that the women on Easter morning, early in the, in the garden at the tomb, simply showed up at the wrong cemetery. And, uh, but that he's really dead. Uh, these, these are theories. But I would say that we, 
followers of Jesus out of the the tradition, again, I'm going to say it again, historic, biblical, orthodox Christianity, we do believe in the reliability of the Scriptures. Uh, So when they tell us that Jesus rose from the dead bodily, we, we believe it because the Scriptures have proven to be accurate every other time. It's true in what it says about me and how it describes uh, me. Um, there, there are really good reasons to believe in the authority and the complete reliability of the Scriptures, and we don't have time to, to deal with them here. But we did take two weekends to deal with this issue. And I recommend, I think I've given you the reference at the bottom of your note sheet there. Uh, if you'll go to our website, dogwoodchurch.org, uh, click on the messages uh, menu across the top and search the, the recorded messages uh, of our church by date. Go to 2009 to the first two Sundays, weekends of January 2009, and you'll see that we uh, dealt with this issue. Uh, the first talk I gave was called Building Confidence in the Bible. The second one was entitled Trusting in the Reliability of the Bible. And we, we give m- many more of the good, good reasons for having absolute trust in what the Scriptures say. So go there. But suffice it to say right now, we, that's the first reason we believe in the resurrection. Second, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus because He appeared to many, many people after His resurrection. Uh, right there in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 5, here's what we find. That He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, Thomas was absent, at this appearance. Uh, verse 6, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. What he's saying that is that he's, he's saying most of these 500 people who saw Jesus after he was risen from the dead at that one amazing appearance, Paul saying at the time of this writing, most of these people are still alive. I can give you their names if you want to go speak to them. We have eyewitnesses here. Uh, go, go speak to them. No, uh, verse 7, then he appeared to James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, then to all the apostles with Thomas present. Finally, in verse 8, last of all, he appeared to me also, to the apostle Paul himself. Now, these two are not the only reasons we believe in the resurrection of Christ. There's much more evidence. In fact, I would recommend that you, if you have questions, that you pursue the evidence Don't be like me. I I am a typical American who holds to strong opinions that are completely ignorant. I mean, you know, aren't we good at that as Americans? We're going to have an opinion whether we know anything about something or not. Well, don't, don't, don't be that way about this issue of the reality of the resurrection. It's too important. The implications... Are, 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 are too big. The stakes are too high. I recommend that you get a book uh, written by Lee Strobel is the author's name. Uh, we're going to give you guests one of his books as a gift when you leave today. It's called The Case for Christ. And he deals a little bit with the resurrection, proofs of the resurrection in there. But he became so fascinated about this one question, he wrote an entire book about it, researched it, wrote it. It's called The Case for Easter. Uh, very readable. It's engaging. It's a page turner. It'd be hard to put down. Uh, that's a darn good place to start for some evidence. But um, we're going to move on. So even after all this evidence thing, what are the proofs? I've discovered uh, that our, our national pollsters tell us 
that over 90% of Americans already believe in the reality of the resurrection. So I don't know why I spend so much time on it. So let's go, let's go really to the big question. What does it mean? Well, beginning in verse 13 through verse 19, then picking up again in verse 29 through verse 32, uh, we find that the resurrection of Jesus means several things. And let's look first of all at the negative perspective, for that's where the Apostle Paul begins. Uh, he, he, um, he says, here's what it means if the resurrection of Jesus did not happen. If it is not true, and it's some gruesome things, it's not, not very good. He says, if it never happened, first of all, it means that Jesus is still dead. And Easter is alive. Verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. In verse 16, uh, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. If it never happened, it also means that the preaching and the teaching of the Christian faith is useless. It is a total waste of time. I have wasted my life. Verse 14 says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. It means all pastors are deceived and spending their lives telling a lie. Verse 15, he says, more than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him. Raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. If it did not happen, number four, it means that your trust in God, no matter how heartfelt it is, is misguided. It is empty. It is worthless. It is hopeless. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So is your faith. If it never happened, it also means that you are still in your sin. I am still in my sin. We are responsible for our sin. We are guilty of our sin. We've not been forgiven. We've not been reconciled with God. And we will atone for our own sin forever in this life and forever. That's bad news. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If, if it never happened, it means that all those Christians... All those people that you knew in your family and your friends who have died, who, had, who were professed faith in Christ, all of those loved ones who've died and gone on before us, they're lost. They are forever dead, and we have absolutely no hope of ever seeing them again. Verse 18, then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If it never happened, it means that we as believers are a miserable Lot. Uh, verse 19 says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. He's saying we're pitiful. We're a pitiful bunch if this never happened. And he's right. If, if the resurrection of Jesus never happened, it means that all of us and all who live and suffer and serve for, and even die for the sake of Christ are absolute fools. Look at verses 30 and 31. Paul says, why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? The message translation says it this way. He says, I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection? And mine is guaranteed by the resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus and if, if, it, if the resurrection never happened, it means that we should live it up. This is all there is. This is all you're going to get. And tomorrow we die. It's the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. 
think we should all just right now get up, get in our cars and say, let's all go to Buckhead and party the rest of the day and, and let's lay out a work tomorrow and party again because this is it. I mean, this is all you're going to get right here. But verse 20 says, it did happen. It is true. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And since it did happen, since it is true, this is now what the resurrection of Jesus means. You ready? Here we go. Three things. Three big things. First of all, uh, the resurrection of Jesus means that he does, uh, that he is who he claimed to be. That he is who he claimed to be. Well, so, well, who, what, who or what did he claim to be? Well, John chapter 11 Verse 25 is a good summary, and here's what it says. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Now, many say that Jesus was a great teacher, arguably the greatest teacher who ever lived. But that's all. I don't think we have that option. I don't think Jesus left us that option. For no one is a great teacher, no matter how wonderful their, their, their teaching on morality and ethics might be. And many say the teaching of Jesus in the ethical realm is the pinnacle of all human teaching on, on ethics and morality. Uh, no teacher is, is a good teacher if also in the middle of those teaching sessions, he, might, he or she would frequently stop and say, and, oh, by the way, I'm God. And that's what he did. Now, somebody said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. Look at me. Look at me. This is really deep. Write this down. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. That's what got him in trouble. That's what got him in trouble. Uh, the, the Jews, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, the, the leaders of the Jewish faith, the conservative leaders of the Jewish faith of that day, they understood precisely what he mean when he would stand and say, uh, call himself the son of man. It was an Old Testament reference to this, this, this God figure, that, this God that steps out of heaven and comes to earth. He, he would call himself the Messiah. It's the, he, he would say, I and the Father are one. And he didn't mean we're just like that right there. He meant we're like the same being. So how do you know they thought that? If you go to John chapter 10, somewhere verse 31, 32, 33, somewhere along in that address, you'll find one day Jesus was teaching in, in Solomon's colonnade in the temple court area. And the, the leaders of the Jewish faith got so upset with him, it says they reached down and picked up rocks. They were going to throw them at him and hit him with rocks until he died. That's a bad way to... Leave. I'm for going to I'm dying in my sleep. You know, don't throw rocks at me till I die. But that was that's what they were going to do. And so he stopped and said, excuse me, before you kill me. You have seen me perform many miracles and they were good ones and they, he knew it. He said, for which of those are you now going to stone me? And you watch, you read it for yourself. They said, well, not for any of those. We're going to stone you. We're going to execute you. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They understood. He claimed to be God. Now, no great... He would just... So finally, people would say, okay, prove it. And then he said, okay, watch. What I am going to do is going to validate who I claim to be. 
And so take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 4. It's on the screen. And Jesus was declared to be Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By His resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus, first of all, means He was who He claimed to be. God come in the flesh. The God-man. In, um, it, that's, and also, the resurrection of Jesus means, number two, jot this down, you can trust Him. He does what He promises He will do. He keeps His word. In Mark chapter 10, verse 34, he says these words. They will mock me and flog and kill me, but after three days, I will come back to life again. And he did. In in Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 and 6, the angel at the tomb said to those gathered there, Don't be frightened. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He has come back to life again, just as he said he would. Uh, The resurrection ultimately proves you can trust Jesus. Some of you have been holding back. Some of you all your life, you've been stiff arming God because I'm not sure I can trust him. I mean, I think I need to take care of things myself because I'm not sure what he's going to do with me or turn me into or have me. I'm not sure... But he says he will do good things for you. And you can trust him to do what he says he will do. The resurrection proves that. Third, the resurrection of Jesus means that he has the power that he claimed to have. And he claimed to have incredible power. In Matthew 28, 18, he claims all power. All power, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And then he gets really specific in John chapter 10... Verse 18, when he said, no one takes my life from me, I have power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. He said, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to rise from the dead. And then his resurrection proved that very thing. So this takes us to our final and most important question of the day. Ready for this one? Here's number four. Here's the question. So what? So what if he was who he said he was and had the power he claimed to have? And do, he'll do, so what? I mean, so what? What does that have to do with me? What does that matter to me? What are the implications for you and me? There are three. Here we go. First of all, number one, it means that Jesus can and will forgive your sin and reconcile you to God. He can do that. Now, we have all done things we wish we hadn't done, haven't we? I mean, we've all said things we wish we hadn't said. We've all thought things we wish we had not thought. We've all have regrets. We've all gone places we wish we had not gone and stayed way longer than we wish we had stayed, right? Yeah. Yeah, for some of us, our motto in college, our our theme song was the old Three Dog Night song, Mama Told Me Not to Come. I mean, you know, we've been there. We did that. We did that. And we have regret and we have shame We have guilt, and it's killing us. And the reason that we did and said and thought those things is that we have a terminal heart disease that the Bible calls sin. We are not sinners because we did those things. We did those things because we are sinful, because we have a heart problem. And we are separated from God and we are all messed up and we have no ability to cure ourselves. We need outside help 
to do that, to to turn us from our self-directed, sinful, destructive life, and we need forgiveness. And here's what the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, Colossians 2, 14, the Bible says, He has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of the debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. By nailing it to the cross. He has the power to forgive your sin. That's what the Bible means in part when it says in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He intends for you to live life free from guilt and shame. You say, but I am guilty. Yeah, I know. Me too. But he has the power to forgive us and to set us free from that. That we can live before God with nothing to hide. No fear, no shame, no guilt. Now give me some of that. And he has the power to do that for you and me. There's a second thing. Jesus' resurrection means for you and me that he can help us in the present. He has the power to help us in the present. I have, uh, I've lived in this community since February of 1982. And um, after hearing a lot of conversations over those years, I think I would sum up the most common complaint that I hear from people in our area is this one. Uh, I'm in a bad situation and I feel powerless to change it. I feel powerless to break a bad habit. My life is out of control. I feel powerless to break an addiction I have. I feel powerless to save my marriage or my relationship with my parents or my kids or my my siblings. I feel powerless uh, to um, get out of debt. I feel powerless to manage my time and my schedule. I feel powerless to handle the financial pressures of this recession. I feel powerless. It's common. Well, what we need is a power greater than our own, right? Well, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18, 19, and 20. The Apostle Paul, again, inspired by God's Spirit, penned these words, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great God's power is to help those who believe Him. It's the same mighty power that what? Raise Christ from the dead. Say it. Raise Christ from the dead. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. He says, if you give your turn from your sin and self and give your heart and life to me, my resurrection means it proves, it guarantees that I will invade your life and the power, the very power that raised me from the dead, I will use to be operative in your life to turn you into the kind of person I want you to be, to enable you to face the circumstances that you are facing to enable you to do and be what I want you to do and be. Uh, his, his, his power to help us in the present. But there's a third one, a third great implication for you and me, and it's this one. Not only will he forgive our sin and reconcile us to God, not only will he help us with his power in the present, but third, he will secure our life after death. He'll secure our life after death. Now, the universal problem is death, right? The universal problem is death. It, it's, it's happening. Uh, I, I keep checking and, and again, checked again this week, and the death rate in Fayette, Coweta, and South Fulton County keeps hovering around 100%. 
Only, I'll say it again, I'll say it again, this is, this is one of my standard Easter weekend statements, only a fool would fail to prepare for that which they know is inevitable. You're saying, Somebody, are you calling me a fool? I'm not, no, I'm not trying to be uh, offensive here. I'm just saying that what I'm saying is, is you're going to die. Happy Easter. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if I can kind of lift this up a little better here. I don't know. We may be in a place I can't, I can't pull it up. Can't get the nose above the horizon. But we, we are. We're, we're going to die. Let's prepare for it. And the good news is the resurrection means we can. We have to have no fear of death. I love the, I love the, the, the words to the hymn we sang earlier in Christ Alone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Yeah, let's live that way. No guilt in life, no fear in death. What's wrong with that? And I, it, Jay, for the life of me, I've been doing this for over 40 years. I wonder, why would anyone say, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that Jesus stuff. Really? What do you want? I mean, it's beyond me. Can I just, is it just us? Are the doors closed? Is it just us in here? I mean, I just can't figure out why someone would not want this. It's, it's just beyond me. In Jesus' name, one guy told me, he said, well, I, you know, if I do that, I'll have to quit drinking. I said, my God, he probably should go to hell. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. Listen, listen to what we are saying here. Jesus has made a way for our eternity to be secured. D death is the final enemy, the scriptures say. And doesn't it feel that way? I mean, even for those of us who've been walking with Christ and our loved ones, know Christ and have been walking with him and, and, but when they die, it just doesn't, and we know they're going to be okay. And we know we're going to see them again because we're all walking with Christ. And, but it just doesn't feel right. Does it? I mean, three and a half years ago when I, when I was by my dad's bedside and I had my arm around my mom and my sisters and my kids and we're all around his bed and watched him take his last breath. Nobody had any greater security. He didn't, he it, no greater security in, in his faith. He was not the least bit concerned about leaving here and going there. Yet, when he died, I felt like, this is, this is not supposed to be this way. Do you know why I felt that way? It's not supposed to be that way. De God never intended this. We did this. Human sin brought death and suffering in, into this world. It's the final enemy. But in the resurrection from the dead, Jesus defeated death. One of my favorite books about this is titled, The Day Death Died. The Day Death Died. He gives us hope beyond the grave. He takes the sting out of death. He takes the victory Away from death in the grave. And so that's what Easter means.
That's the message of Easter. Forgive us, reconcile us, help us in the present, secure our eternity. Now, some of you are ready for that. For some of you, you're hearing this the very first time. I, you know, I like to ask this question of people. Have you come to the place in your life that you're trusting, you know, and are trusting Jesus with your life in eternity? Or are you still in the process? Some of you are still in the process. Some of you here today are just beginning the process. You've, you've never had it explained before. And you're saying, this sounds really good. I, I need to process it. Good. Do so. Process it. Come back next week. We'll keep explaining this. Get with some trusted Christians in your life, if you have any. You know, if some that won't shout their position at you. You know what I mean? That'll actually walk with you through this thing. Uh, Talk with me. Talk with some of our other pastors. But come, keep searching. Others of you, however, you've heard enough. It's clear. And something's going on in your heart right now. It's stirring in your soul. And what that is, it, it's the, the Bible says it's the Spirit of Christ seeking to draw you to Himself. He's saying, now's the time. Today's the day. Yield control of your life in eternity to me. Trust me to take care of your sin and your past. Trust me to help you now. Trust what I accomplished on the, on the cross and in my resurrection to apply it to you personally. Now, in almost every service, some people have said, I'm ready for that. I'm going to ask you to do something if you're ready. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird or embarrass you or anything like that, but I do want to pray for you. If you'd say, pastor, I I understand. And that's what I want. I am now ready to become a follower of Jesus. I want what you've described. Just raise your hand up. Let me see. And we'll, cause I'm going to pray for you. Yay. Right there. Who else? Somebody, anybody over here? I'm having trouble seeing with the spotlights. Come on, anybody in the balcony? Where, who am I missing? Anybody? Okay, yes, yay. Who else? Somebody else? Isn't this good? Yeah, people, yes, yay, up in the balcony. Who else? Way up there, way to go. Anybody else? Say, yes, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'd, I'd like this life in Christ. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I want to pray for you, and you just make this prayer your own. This, these are not magic words. God's more concerned about the attitude of your heart than he is the words of your mouth. Got it? So, church, you pray with me. You pray for these folks too. Ready? You pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinful person who needs a Savior, and I believe you are that Savior. And so, Lord, to the best of my understanding, I now ask you to come into my life, forgive my sin, Turn me into the person you want me to be. Give me your gift of eternal life. To the best of my understanding, I submit control of my life and my eternity into your hands. I'm trusting in your death on the cross and resurrection from the dead is sufficient to take care of all of these spiritual needs in my life. And I now want to follow you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 
For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.